once again into the soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 93. As always, a reminder to rate, review, download, and subscribe. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell them about this great soccer podcast you've been listening to, that you were here from the beginning. You can take a lot of pride in that. And remind them the World Cup is just a little over a month away, and there's a good place where you can keep up to speed with all the latest news and sound smarter by the water cooler at work when talking about the result between Canada and Morocco or what have you. We're going to have a comprehensive coverage getting towards the biggest sporting event in the world. This week on the Soccer OG, joining me in the business end, the one, the only, Alexi Lalas. We'll talk about the end of the MLS season, end of the MLS local broadcasts, which I will be touching on here shortly. And we will also... uh, Check in on what Fox is doing for the World Cup. He'll be in Qatar. What can we expect? What's it going to sound and look like? Should be pretty interesting. He'll tell me as much or as little as he would like. But he's usually an open book. Uh, Really enjoy him. He actually doesn't live too far from me. And we text all the time about some strange things, including the U.S. men's national team, which we will also address. And the perceptions, how some are wrong. Some uh, are just way off base and just silly. And how to weed through all of that so you get the best possible information. And how to be, you know, to enjoy it as a fan. How to enjoy it as a fan. All that and much more. Coming up in stoppage time, I will tell you about why the U.S. will bring four strikers to the World Cup. I think it can happen. Especially after talking to Meg Swanick last week. If you haven't heard that podcast, check it out. She was fantastic. So there might be a possibility. Also check out the Soccer OG on YouTube under my name, Max Bretos. I have weekly videos, which I will be talking again about the striker situation for the U.S. men's national team. Moving forward with the call-ups on November the 9th, we are ready to go. Let's get the show started. I'm going to talk about me a little bit here. So this past Sunday, final LAFC broadcast for... Yours truly on the local broadcasters is uh, MLS pivots towards Apple TV. A lot of people are asking me, are you going to work for Apple? I don't know yet. Had a conversation. See where it goes. I will stay with LAFC in some capacity. We've had those conversations. We'll see what that looks like. But um, there's a lot of work certainly to be done there as we do with podcasts, coaches, shows, and and beyond that. And whatever it is, I'm not going to bore you with all those details. So... 2023 should be pretty good. It's going to be different. Uh, I was very happy the way it was because, quite frankly, and I'll read you my resume here. You know, I've worked everywhere. Like Johnny Cash, he's been everywhere. I worked everywhere. I worked for Fox on a national level. I worked for ESPN for nine years in Los Angeles and in Connecticut. I hosted sports and I hosted every show in that building. I hosted first take for a week with Jonathan Coachman. I sat in Stephen A. Smith's chair. So I was hosting the biggest shows. It was incredible. Incredible. Every kid that wants to be a broadcaster said, at least maybe until recently, because it doesn't resonate. But Sports Center was the biggest show on the planet. Everywhere you walked into, Sports Center was on. I wanted to do that. Everyone wanted to do that. I got to do that. I worked at Sky Sports. In the UK. I worked briefly at Torneos y Competencias in Argentina. I worked at WWE in 2007, probably the most traumatic year in WWE history. I was there, terrified. And there were some crazy things that happened in 07, as in a lot of wrestlers dying or committing murder. It was, it was very strange. But anyway, it was tough. It was tough. That's a tough place to work. Uh, I worked for the Galaxy. I'm very proud of the work I did there under Doug Hamilton, uh, working on their local broadcasts on local TV. Uh, it, the list goes on. I've done a lot of things for Nike, etc. Now, the one job I've always, always really, really wanted was being the voice of LAFC. And I remember when I was in Connecticut, I heard that they had this team. I'd reach out to Tom Penn, who I had a relationship with, who I'm indebted for this job. There's no doubt about it. And... I uh, I would say, hey, Tom, you want to grab lunch? This was like 2016, so the club was still two years. So I'm not going to go there and ask for the broadcasting job. It's still two years away. But it was just about keeping up appearances. Hey, you want to grab lunch? I'm in town. That was a bit of a, that was false. <laughs> I would, I've told them this after the fact. I would fly into LA. I would finish a show. I wouldn't tell ESPN I'm going anywhere. I'd take a red eye to LA. I'd get there. 
and meet him for the meeting. If he canceled that meeting, I'd be screwed. Thankfully, he did not. Have lunch. Oh, just wanted to check in. Met Larry Friedman, who's now the president, and just wanted to check in. It's great what you're doing. Jump on a plane, go back, work. I did that twice. The reason I did it is because I wanted this job. And I would, the reason I want this job, and, and it, it, it came to fruition when you did it, LA is really in the discussion of being the best sports town in the world. It really is. I know you'd say New York and Boston and Philadelphia, maybe their fans are a little louder about it, but this city with the success of the teams, with the, uh, the incredible players and athletes that have played on them, I think LA is number one. Obviously, I'm wearing it with Los Angelino glasses saying that, and it's impossible to prove. But as a broadcaster, you come here and you say, look at the, this you can't touch. You look at the broadcasters on the local. It was Vin Scully. It was Chick Hearn with the Lakers. It was Ralph Lawler with the Clippers. It was Bob Miller with the Kings. It was, I know I'm going to forget some names, um, Dick Emberg, you know, locally. These are guys that are, that you, I'm not comparing myself to them, but if you call sports for an LA team, you're in that pantheon with them. That's what I wanted more than anything. I just want to say, oh, he is a voice of this LA sports scene. That is the most precious thing I've ever been able to say about me in my professional life. That's why I wanted it. So I came here and able to do it. And it was tough at first. And I knew I had to make a relationship with Bob Bradley and I had to make a relationship with the front office and John Thorrington and the supporters. And over time you did where you got that comfort level. And that's the best part where people say, oh, we like our guy. You know, they'll, they'll run through a, a, a door for you because you broadcast their team. But it doesn't always happen. Sometimes it doesn't hit. So eventually I got there. And then this deal happened, and it hit me like a fist. I, I wanted to do that job for the rest of my life. I wanted to go off 30 years and say, hey, there he was, the voice of the LFC. So it's changed, and that's the way it is. Things have changed. Look, I've, uh, I've never been able to stay seated in one place too long. I've been treated very, very poorly in a lot of places I've worked. Very, very poorly. And... I've gotten thick skin, which you're going to have to do that in this industry. You know, I've been beaten up, and sometimes I wanted to crawl in a hole and die and just leave this industry. LAFC, and I want to say this about Combate Global, who I work for, they treat me like family. They treat me like they don't, they're upfront. You ask a question, you get a direct, honest answer. They'll put your arm around your shoulder. I never really had that. So it was precious. And it's so important to be able to do that. And we'll see what happens moving forward. We've talked to Apple. I don't know what it's going to look like, but it hopefully all falls into place. But there's a lot of people, man. I have these conversations with all the guys who do this around the league, and it's they're, they're really hard conversations. So it's, um, it's something that uh, I will cherish being the first voice, maybe the only voice for LAFC, but things can change. Uh, it was a, uh, it was a very, it was an honor. And all those people who said so many nice things, I appreciate you. And we will, uh, we'll see you around the corner. Maybe I'm calling some LFC games a part of it. Let's talk about it. Uh, we have Alexi Lalas coming up, so we'll have a good conversation about him about a great many things, as we said earlier. And I'll talk about how the U S should be using four strikers. It was a great weekend or great week for American players abroad. Maybe the best when you look at you know, Ricardo Pepe scoring two goals, Austin Trusty scoring two goals, Christian Pulisic scoring, several players returning from injury, Tim Weah, Eunice Musa, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Matt Turner playing great in uh, Europa League action for Arsenal. It was, it was Josh Sargent scoring goal. This was where you see the width and breadth of Americans in Europe and how far we've come. And it's going to keep growing at an I think at an astronomical pace. I think even just next year, you're going to see more Americans throughout. Kevin Panetta is starting to break through a little bit with Wolfsburg. And then there's so many others. You know, Sam Vines, we don't even mention. He starts every game for the leaders in Belgium. Um, th there is some really good stories across the board. This was a great week. So... I'll have my top five players coming out very soon. You can check out on my YouTube show for that. That should be out later Monday night. And it was uh, it was part. It's great to I mean Christian Pulisic in particular to get that game after um, what was you know a lot of people going at him. And by the way, it's, 
some people, I mean, he scored a goal against Wolves, okay? Some people on Twitter going away, taking receipts from people saying, hey, what's going on, man? You're wrong. I go, well, let's, let's pump the brakes a bit. You know, some people just, just weird posting about, it. just Twitter around American players, and I participated. It just gets really weird. And I know people are, are catering to their base, but they'll send some things that are just, just silly. And I see and I read it, and look, it's, let's. this is good for Christian, but let's not just say he's back. This is going to be an uphill climb, but that was a good development that he started and he scored. I hope it leads to more starts as well. There was a, it was a nice, good viewing week of sports. I got my West Ham hammers, Gianluca Scamacca, scoring some goals. We had uh, Pep Guardiola criticizing... Jokingly, Erling Haaland, because he only scored one goal, which is well below his average. And then we had, uh, you know, a good week in the with Manchester United as well, getting a nice result there. So it was a fun week to watch these games. MLS wrapped up. We saw the changing of the guard a little bit. Last year, the two LA teams and none of the Texas teams made the playoffs. This year in the West, LAFC won, Austin two. Dallas 3, Galaxy 4. That was how they finished in the standings. So, Cascadia teams all out. This is the league, right? It, it changes a fair bit. So, um, I was uh, I watched a lot of football this week. It was very good. I watched, Man, I watched a lot of Union Berlin. Union Berlin, Jordan Pifok. We'll talk about him later. They're in uh, first place still in the Bundesliga. And the game, Bayern Munich, Dortmund. Hooray for Dortmund! Coming back from two goals to get a point. And the best reaction of Oliver Kahn, like a petulant little child, when the, the equalizer there happened where he's like slamming his seat. I put a clip of that on my Instagram and Instagram pulled it. It's like, what, what are we doing? I thought we were past that because the Bundesliga runs a tight ship. We're going to get into the business end. Alexi Lalas, looking forward to that conversation. Stick around for stoppage time as we talk about the strikers for the US MNT. Welcome now to the business end. We are very proud to join, I think, second time. Very thrilled. Everyone knows and loves Alexi Lalas, the most famous man in American soccer. You know it's true, Alexi. Wow. When I, when I go to games with you, uh, people, it's like they're seeing Mick and Keith from the Stones. <laughs> My favorite was in Toronto where the guy goes, Mist. we did the 2000, we should do a documentary on the 2010 MLS Cup, which oh was the last God. one on a neutral it's side. Crazy. That one guy was falling going, Mr. Lawless, Mr. Lawless, <laughs> Mr. Lawless. I have that voice in my head. Oh, it was so cold, too. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I busted out the Kim Kardashian jacket, which I got crushed oh, on back at ESPN. Well, it's a pleasure Super. to be here. Pleasure to be here, my friend. It's always <laughs> a pleasure to hang with you, uh, whether it's in, uh, you know, just out, out in town or in a much more formal type of setting here. Uh, doing Indeed. Our job, so. Indeed. I want to start by reading one of my favorite tweets in the history of Twitter. It came from you yesterday. Oh. No idea what the new Apple MLS broadcast will look like in 2023, but today is the end of an era. Local MLS broadcasts have been a part of the league since it kicked off in 1996. Thanks to all who painted the pictures and provided the soundtrack for a generation of MLS fans. Follow-up tweet. These local broadcasts, like MLS itself, have also been a valuable entree into the business for young and inexperienced talent, both in front and behind the camera. That hit me personally because I was like one of those kids back in the day beautifully written and oh. from the heart and Thank i know you. it was like Thank a very do we've we've had so many conversations with people about it you know i talked to all the other voices you know i was a text just texted joe tollison right or uh um callum williams but many of them and we all were like what's going on so i think it was nice and it was a uh, it was relief but uh it was uh it was can a, i just can, can i just say something about that i mean we're both on twitter and you know for the good and the bad of it i have no clue anymore how to gauge what the hell is going to resonate like i put that out there and I, I and like next thing i know it's getting thousands of responses and I can't figure it out, man. I mean, it, there's, I guess there's just no rhyme or reason to it. Now, I, I do think that it, that it, that speaks to what you were, you were talking about. I, I you know, I also, there was, I had, I had uh, drawn up a picture to go with it with a bunch of these, you know, kind of classic faces 
uh, that have been around forever. And then I was like, well, I'm going to miss somebody. I know it. And they're going to be pissed off. And so I did it without the faces, you know, and you mentioned, you know, uh, Joe and, you know, obviously, you know, uh, you know, so many people that have come before and, and to Tino and, uh, um, you know, it just goes on and, and JP and all those guys. Anyway, JP, I, I didn't put the picture with it, but I'm glad that it resonated. And it is the end of an era, as we know, with Apple coming next year. And and I, I truly I don't know what the hell it's going to look like uh, going forward. You hope that it's good. Uh, you hope. I, I think that it's going to give at least MLS folks the opportunity to see it, whether they're domestic, whether they're around the world, one uh, specific place, their own specific app within it. So that's that's all that's all fine and well. And we all understand that the world changes, the business changes. I, I get that. But, you know, I started doing regional broadcast with uh, the San Jose Earthquakes back in 2000. So over 20 years ago, and it was my first foray into a uh, week in and week out type of television when it came to soccer. And so we've all cut our teeth at different points there. And, you know, the, the thing is, we do have a history when it comes to soccer. And these voices and these faces that that I'm talking about, and and you know them, and you're one of them to a, uh, to a certain extent, and you've been around forever, it, they become part of the fabric, right? I mean, they become. Well, it's important part of the- for it's important for other sports. Yeah. You think of other sports leagues, you think of Mike Breen calling NBA. You think of Vince Scully doing NBA. And I'm not comparing to these guys, but you 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 get comfortable. It's about sports is about yeah. comfort. It, it really is. is. It is, and and so I I just want at least wanted to tip my hat because you know I started as a player in this league. And I started, you know, listening to them call games and, you know, there's various degrees and we all understand that this is a work in progress and a labor of love uh, to, to a certain extent, but you know, they, they were calling our games and then I kind of, you know, graduated in and they thankfully allowed me into the club there. And I learned a tremendous amount over the years watching these incredible uh, folks and whether it's, you know, Dave Johnson out in, in, in DC and, and, and Cangelosi out in New York. And, you know, the list goes on and on again. I I'm wary of, of naming them because there's so, there's so many of them and some of them have, have kind of come and gone, but to my point in the tweet, it's also this incubator for a lot of talent that has come through and, you know, as well as I do, it's near and dear to our hearts and we love this sport. But there's also a lot of people that have used it as that entree, like I said, into the sport, uh, whether it's broadcasting in front of the camera, behind the camera, or even you know front offices and all that kind of stuff. And MLS in in its own unique way has really provided that opportunity for a lot of people. It's very true. I did at Galaxy Games with Matt Lip, who was a producer, who now does the number one game for TNT on uh, the NBA, t- whatever, there the, the NBA Weekly yeah. game. He's the number one guy. Yep. Uh, you mentioned the young announcers and there's so many good young announcers now. Jake in Portland, mm-hmm. uh, Mark Followell, who, who uh, Eric Krakauer just started. Charlotte. They're really gnawing their teeth and they could be great broadcasters here for anything. Kevin Egan in Atlanta, he just got the number one seat for WWE. Right. Which to me is probably the hardest broadcast yeah. because you have Vince McMahon or maybe not Vince or one of these guys on top of you. It's tough. It and is, you got that. So there's it a- is amazing. It is amazing. And so, you know, onward and upward. And I, and I, like I said, I don't know what it's going to look like next year. And it's obviously a very, very different type of production and MLS, you know, I, I, they got a lot of games that they got to yeah. broadcast with MLS and MLS next. And so it's going to be really, really interesting. And I know that there's a lot of people that, you know, it's, it's their job, it's their passion, it's their livelihood. And, you know, there's just a lot of unanswered questions when it comes to what it's going to look like next year. Very well said. I appreciate that. And I think everyone does because everyone's been like on eggshells. And I, I I clicked and listened to all the all the broadcasts. And I was listening to Dave Johnson. And I, I don't know who everyone could be involved with Apple. I don't know. But uh, he's certainly not going to probably use the same call. But he was playing FC Cincinnati. And Cincinnati scored the first three right? goals in 15 minutes. I go, I want to hear it. It's in the net. And then DC kind of slipped one. I'm like, yes. But but you know, Max, <laughs> our our you know this this soccer community that is so big and i do think that it is incredibly welcoming and and rightfully so because we want as many people into it and we're always inviting people in but you know sometimes we we don't recognize or respect enough the history that we have created and celebrated it enough and all of those different voices and faces like i said in front of behind that they're they're part of that and we almost apologize at times for for what, for what we're not uh for a lot of things not just when it comes to broadcasting but there's a lot of good there's a lot of good out there and there's a lot of really really good quality people out there that have worked their ass off to you know literally market the team but also 
to market the sport and bring people in. And there's a generation now that's grown up, that's in college, that you know is going to have kids and have families and stuff like that, that that team and MLS is part of their sports palette. And that soundtrack that we talk about has been provided by these men and women for so many years. You should run for mayor of LA. I mean, you these I would you would have my vote. Just beautifully spoken, mesmerizing. Don't get me work. started on politics. I mean, <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, I mean, we we live out here in this beautiful, beautiful Alexi, uh, Alexi. Four right? more oh years. Oh my goodness, man. Oh man, I'm gonna go fill my car up <laughs> and pay my taxes and do all that. But then I'll walk outside and it's beautiful, and the rest of the country's freezing their ass off. Oh. And I'm in this beautiful, beautiful environment, as you know. So yeah. it's take with the good with the bad. Stick to stop. Stick to soccer. Okay. There we go. There we go. And and this is the thing because you are this sounding board, and it's I think you're so valuable because everyone in soccer world knows who you are. I know, like me, I could say this, you rub people the wrong way, like I do. People, I I just I was reading some tweet where uh, I, it's whatever. I can't read those things, but but everyone knows who you are, and even outside of soccer. So I think you're you're just really important uh, in these big events, and you're preparing obviously for the World Cup. Mm-hmm which is going to be, it's Fox. It's going to be, we know it's going to be a unique World Cup and it's going to be November. It's going to be over the holidays and Fox has a big NFL and college football palette. By the way, Stoner, is there going to be, are they going to have to, they're going to have to make two Rob Stones here. Yeah, I mean, the, the guy does everything and, uh, you know, he will be, he will be with us in Qatar and Good. he will get your Rob Stone fix and they will make do with the other 20 sports that he does. And figure, but, you know, to your point, it is, it is such a, a strange and potentially beautiful type of World Cup in November and Agree December. Yeah. Because, you know, the the ability for us to cross-promote, which is something we never have when it's done in the summer. Uh, yes, there are challenges with people at work and, and kids at school and all that kind of stuff, but people find the game and they find big tournaments. And to your point, I think we're going to use it to our advantage from a Fox perspective where, I mean, you literally in a day, you can get up and <laughs> and there'll be points where you can watch, you know, a healthy diet right from breakfast of World Cup action. You can have NFL, you can have uh, college football, you can have even, you know, college basketball and all this kind of stuff, all on the Fox family of, uh, of platforms out there. So I think that's good because we'll be able to steer a lot of people to the game in a way that we haven't been able to do in uh, in the summer and obviously having the men's team back in the world cup that's a big thing i think there's the divorce rate's going to tick up if for diehard sport fans because on the west coast the games are 2 a.m at least the groups 2 5 8 and 11 so you're going to cross promote at the end and go make sure you stick around and watch fresno state usc and someone's going to watch that and their loved ones are going i hate you dad yep Get out of the house. I go, I can't. You've been up since 1 a.m. And you're yeah. going to bed at 9. We don't even go out anymore. Yeah, that's so, our that's our goal that's at Fox, the- Max. <laughs> Wonderful. To break up as many families as possible over the course of the six weeks that we're, that we're there. I mean, be like, anything, we come, hey, we've got rain. another one. There's a divorce uh, going on in uh, Kansas City. Uh, the guy just overdid it. Uh, it's not a divorce. It's a separation. But exactly. exactly. I'm speaking for myself because I... I have told my I've told my wife I'm getting up and I'm watching these games. I'm gonna go to I usually go to bed around midnight one, mm. so I'm gonna have to tick that back to like nine or ten, which I've never done since I was nine years old. But uh, that's the plan. At least for these well, they've done, they've done a good job of of making you know the the higher profile games a little later and stuff like that. And you know, be interesting too is obviously it happens during the Thanksgiving break, and that's all that's all fine and well. And that Friday, by the way, the U.S. England game has the potential oh, to be the has the potential to be the greatest viewed. Uh, a soccer game in u.s broadcast it's history. going to, it will be it so, will be. i mean that'll be that'll be incredible but there'll also be points where you know kids are in school and it'd be interesting to see you know how you know are they sneaking in their ipads and are, are they are they watching it or, or are the are the teachers saying all right let's take a little break here and do all that so uh, it's going to be fun uh and obviously being in an area of the world that you know, the World Cup has never been held in with all of the stuff that, that people talk about. And that is all absolutely fair game from a Fox perspective. And from, you know, you mentioned Rob Stone and the team we have is just incredible. All the men and women that are coming over, an incredible wealth of experience. And, you know, whether it's a Carly Lloyd or a Landon Donovan or Stu Holden and, and uh, John Strong, it goes on and on and on with all of these uh you know, incredible folks. We have a responsibility, you know, to bring you the event. 
And it's also, we recognize that it's that it's an escape and people want to talk about this incredible sporting event. And there's so many different stories uh, out there when it comes to what's uh, what's going on, not the least of which is Qatar in and of itself, which will be a huge part of the story. Uh, well, let's certainly talk about the crew that, uh, that's been assembled and the games itself should, it should be really interesting. We've never seen a, a tournament in the Middle East so how does that look? Someone was telling me about just the heat and the surface and the sure. stadium. It, it could be a really quick, quick ball that could benefit some teams and not benefit the others. We just don't know, which to me finds it very compelling. I will also add about the kids in school. My fondest memories, I was getting into soccer, more from the international perspective. I'm going to age myself. It was the 1990 World Cup, senior year in high school, Carl Gables, high school in Miami. It was Cameroon, Argentina was the opener, which Cameroon won. And we were, I was looking, I didn't know how to see it. And we had this Colombian teacher. He's like, come to my uh, classroom. And it was like eight kids and him and this little TV watching it on Univision at the time. Right. And I remember seeing that and I was like, ah, and there's like screaming and people going, what the heck is going on in there? And it was just, it was like, that was my entry point. And I hope a lot of kids get to do that as well. I think we're going to see, I think we're going to see a lot of that. And just, to, you know, I mean, you know, Max, that in this day and age, and certainly, you know, in this moment in our country, there's very few things <laughs> that unite us. As a matter of things, there's a lot of a lot of things that separate us, unfortunately. It's just the, the reality of where we are right now. And so I think that has the potential to bring a lot of people together in these kind of campfire moments, even in uh, even in school when uh, when we're looking at uh, at what's happening. But when it when it comes to when it comes to Qatar, you know, here's the unique aspect of it. Not not just that it's in a place that we've never been before, but it's all in Doha. And for the people that don't know, Qatar is the size of Connecticut as a country, but everything happens in Doha. 80% 80 of the 3 million people are in Doha. By the way, of those 3 million people, only 300,000 of them are actual Qataris. So a lot of expats and obviously, as, as, uh, as we've read, a lot of workers uh, there. But everybody is in Doha. All the teams will be in Doha. There's no traveling. So all of that satelliting that has gone on that every World Cup that I've ever worked has, has happened, that's not happening. You can get to any one of the eight stadiums within 45 minutes. They put, it, they put in a new underground, uh, underground system. They widen wow. the roads. All of that kind of stuff. The accommodations are going to be interesting because you know, there's a lot of question on whether they're going to be able to accommodate the millions of people that are coming for the Are World you sharing Cup. a room with Stoner? If we have to, man, we'll make two. You got to adjust in a World Cup, as you know, Max. So we'll we'll figure it out. It wouldn't be the first time that Rob and I have slept in close quarters. Um, let's clip that off, guys. Clip that off. Thank you. Okay. Well, that's again all these things are the unknown that make it exciting. I think that proximity is uh, is certainly uh, going to be an interest. It's, it's going to manifest itself in these games. Maybe these teams are on the same ride over, or these players see well, each can, other you can get to multiple games in a day that's the interesting thing from a fan perspective is because of the proximity you can get to multiple games a day i mean conceivably i don't know what we're going to do with, with a, in the fox situation but conceivably we could have for example uh you know Stu holden and john strong calling two Call games two games in a day yeah oh you gotta make, do that i don't know I tell mean, the higher ups i don't know. send the email know. right now alexi we've got that's I such a know. that's a marketing you can, I, I, I will say this that it was moved, as we know, from the summer to November and December because of the incredible heat. And and I have been there in the summer, and believe me, it would have been very difficult. Having said that, they also, uh, we all know, have a lot of money over there, and they have spent it well in these stadiums. And, you know, they took me out in the middle of the summer, and from the 100 yards from my air-conditioned bus to the entrance to the stadium, they put the redhead out, and I'm, you know, wobbling through the sand there, sweating my ass off. And I got into one of these stadiums. It's not called air conditioning. You got, you know, it's climate control. You don't call it air conditioned, but it's no climate idea. control. It was like I was in another world. So they got they got it down. The in oasis terms of the comfort. <laughs> so the players, the fans, everybody will be comfort comfortable. The temperature should not be a problem. It's much, it, it's much more. Uh, it's much less in terms of the temperature, obviously, in November, December. It's still hot. It's still a desert anyway. you slice it, but it's going to be much, much different. And like I said, they have the climate control that they're going to use, too. So a lot of interesting things when it comes to what's happening on and off the field for this Qatar World Cup. And we're excited to bring it to everyone. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier, it's a huge responsibility. And I remember uh, in 2014, uh, you guys came back from the World Cup. I was at ESPN. I think I I reunited with some of you guys. Um, uh, I remember Twelman in particular. And they came up, I go, hey, how was it? And he looked like he just escaped <laughs> a prison. He's like, he was a cadaver standing up. And right. I just realized the amount of work that we see 
that you guys make it look so easy, but it's 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 really demanding. And I was in those meetings when at ESPN when they cover these big ones and it's these big events. And I'm sure Fox is the same way. It's like those are really intimidating. Those meetings you're in there, like we're doing this. This has to get done. We gotta. It, it's a. It's got to be a well-oiled machine, and it's got to move from point A to point B. But uh, just some of the work that you are anticipating, or things that we're going to see that you uh, you think will be uh, will grab our attention. All right. I mean, so you know, I'm here from my my man cave or whatever, and you know, I got I got stuff that's taped up all over my my room here of teams and coaches and groups and players to watch and all this kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm knee deep in it already. I got my world, Cup, my, my Bible going. It's like Russell Crowe in a beautiful mind. You got a lot. It's a lot of that. And I need all the help that I can get. I mean, there are savants like you and, and, you know, our friend, like, like Brian Dunseth and stuff, I, the amount of, of information and data that they are able to retain is just, I am, I'm so jealous of people. It's funny. You mentioned Dunseth, that guy could unload information in like in a paragraph here. Whoa, wait a minute. It's nuts. It's nuts. I don't know. I don't know how they do it, but I, I am not like that. I just need to make sure that I know what's going on when the red light turns on. But to your point, the research starts well before. And I always I always describe it as, you know, that iceberg type of thing where what you ultimately see on air is just the tip of the iceberg. But what makes that tip good, if it is good, is all the work that you have done. And it's all the below the surface and it is the foundation and the structure. And a lot of gets a lot of it gets left on the cutting room floor and the best stuff makes makes it to the top. But you can't get to that best stuff without doing the work beforehand. And, and you know, we call it work, but come on, let's be honest. This is the best work ever relative to 99.9% of yeah. the world out there would we, we trade places with us. I love it. I'm a junkie for it. I can't wait. Yes, to your point. It is a responsibility. And you mentioned your, you know, your old teacher, uh, Colombian teacher, taking you and watching that game. The interesting thing about doing a World Cup from a, a U.S. perspective is because of our, you know, because of our incredible diversity as a country and all of the countries and flavors that we have, we have a responsibility. And it's no surprise that when the ticket uh, numbers come out, the U.S. is always there with the uh, with the host nation because we have so many different people that want to watch it and not all for the U.S. team. They are, and so we do feel our responsibility. Yeah, we're going to give you plenty of U.S. Uh, men's national team coverage, but we also have a responsibility to make sure that all the people that are tuning in from an English, English language perspective are given their daily dose of their teams. And there's so many more stories than just the U.S. men's national team. You mentioned your, your data about the Qatar, the Doha logistics. Very, very interesting. You had mine divided. You're saying when you talk about the, the the scope of the World Cup and the the stories that you're going to have to unearth, is there something you've, that's come up that you've seen that you were like, well, that's interesting. Or there's a player or a nation that you're like, this is something that may need to get a little more coverage. We may not know a lot about, for example, Morocco, but this guy, this is interesting and he's... He's well, a I butcher mean, in his off time, whatever it is. <laughs> well, I mean, well, off the field, this is a, a, an area of the of the world that is ancient, right? Um, oldest, however, oldest place in the world. However, Doha as a city is very, very new. You know, you're talking 50 years and, you know, they, they found they found oil and they found gas and everything changed for them. Even the sky, the, the skyline that you see, you know, there's. This is how I, I, I describe it to people because I've now been a couple of times to Doha. There, there is a sense of Vegas when you when you see it, uh, the glitz, the glamour. But what doesn't exist is there's not an undercurrent of, well, certainly not crime, and and there's nothing seedy about it. In that, you know, they they have this money, but I, in, in in most cases, I think they've spent it very well. So, for example, if you even look at the skyline um, that will be heavily featured in our set as a backdrop and the set's always one of the biggest stars and we're blowing it out <laughs> this year. I remember in, in Russia, there was, uh, exactly. we saw that with the, the cathedral. It's, a, people, and... it's amazing that people that start watching the world cup and then they come to the world cup. They it's like this pilgrimage, this migration that happens to the set. And then they, you know, they get down and like, they can't believe that they're now standing in front of what they were on their couch watching, uh, watching before, but they, they went out and got incredible architects and obviously, I'm assuming they paid them very, very well. And so the skyline, for example, that is so new is incredibly eclectic. And, it, you know, so many different types of styles and and, uh, and architecture over there. Um, but, you know, this is also, an, a, you know, an ancient type of culture, even if the city's new. And so, you know, Stuart Holden and I have been over there and we've done, 
you know, everything from, from camel racings to out on the dunes uh, to, you know, local music, whether it's, you know, the, the music that has, you know, been passed down or new music that's going on in there. So we'll have all of that type of stuff going on too. And then telling the stories and whether it's, you know, potentially, I don't know, potentially the last go for both Messi and Ronaldo. And when it comes to Argentina, for example, right now, there's it's it's amazing this is an argentina team with no drama no behind scenes no, at least we, we can see going on isn't that and something then, and balanced my god max what a balanced team it's not yes you have messi but they're not they're they they love him and they revere him but they're not um deferential to him in the way that they play they're going to do their job they know he's going to come up with magic and it's it's balanced in a way that i don't think we have seen before um, you, you know, you obviously have the returning champs when it comes to to France and what the, what's going on there. Brazil, who's my pick, I think to win it. Even I just I just a little bit more when it comes to uh, over Argentina, to Argentina would be number two. Yeah, Argentina would probably be number two. My my good friend David Mossy, who I do the State of the Union podcast, of he's got he's got Argentina despite despite the fact that he's Brazilian. I'm the one that's got Brazil, and he's got Argentina. Maybe he's doing a reverse and, jinx. I don't know what, he, what he's and doing. And they could meet in the semifinal if they win their groups, which exactly. they should. Exactly. And then obviously the U.S. and that group and how are they going to get out of the group and, and all of that. Germany, which faltered massively in the last World Cup. Be careful because they're going to come back and they're they're eager, uh, eager to do some things. And then, as you know, you know, the narrative churns and stuff happens. The hardest part for a World Cup, to be quite honest, we're talking about research and all that kind of stuff, is, is the first week. Uh, after that, you know, the stories have stories, kind of been established yeah. and now you're they, off you're off and running. But you know, yes, you have context when it comes to the other teams and what they have done leading up to it. But as soon as teams start playing and some of these stories to start to come to come out and we start to get some different pathways out there, then you're cooking. That's a great answer. And by the way, the one thing you can control and you answered it perfectly is teaching people a part of this world. And, I, you know, all we've heard about Qatar is in a, in a negative light, by and large. Much of it, I'm sure, deserved, but, yep. we, but most of it, as we hear this, we don't see it, and we know that there's it's a much different culture. But learning a little bit more about that and why it ticks that way, and what you said about this old this old civilizations combined with these incredible, you sound like Frank Lloyd Wright for a second, you know, with this incredible skyline that they have de developed there, and then in addition to that, um, maybe the neighboring Middle East. This is a Middle Eastern. Yeah. We'll People come. are going to satellite in. People will come in from you know different places in Dubai, and 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 keep in mind that you know while while our responsibility and our focus is to provide that escape and talk about the game, we're not going to you know stick our heads in the sand. We understand that there are, to your point, you know, real fair criticisms and they're real fair concerns, and you are going to have plenty of that when it comes. And believe me, some probably stories are already written, and that is going to be part of the conversation. But as far as what we are doing when we are, you know, producing the games, you know, we we're, we're talking about we're talking about the soccer. We're yeah. not we're not ignoring it. You know, we have uh, obviously a news division. We have, uh, you know, history and vignettes and different things that and featurettes that we are going to do out there about the history of this country. And keep in mind, Max, you know, we're guests. We are guests in another country in another culture. And while we might come with different sensibilities, being from the U.S. or being from uh, being from the West, we also have to recognize that we may agree to disagree on different things uh, when it comes to what's going on in in Qatar or other places uh, over there. And you know, we can talk about it, uh, we can discuss it, and hope. And they have a, a vested interest in this going well. This is their. This is their advertisement to the world. And believe me, they're not going to stop at the World Cup. They're going to continue to want events and want people to recognize Qatar. And while over in Europe, Qatar is kind of a destination for folks, let's be honest, over here, it's it's kind of so distant, yeah. we don't think of it like that. And they want to change that. Well, it's up to them. Prove to us that you can host this incredible event, you can do it well, and that advertisement that's going out, then it'll be positive. I see there's uh, the airline, the Qatari airline commercials, and I, I'd watch them. I go, is this like nonstop service to Minneapolis? Are you guys, where are you flying to? Is it where can I go? But that's, I guess they're going to get people to go j jump on a jet plane and go to Qatar. Which there are a lot of flights, Matt. Don't you, uh, Max? Don't you worry about it. Okay, good. So uh, <laughs> it's it really is is interesting. And we look when the World Cup. I I know it, it, these it gets burdened more than any sporting event mm -hmm. because of what happens politically and culturally. And, you know, every sport has baggage, but they get to talk about the sport. And sometimes soccer doesn't get to freely do that 
And when it starts, we're there for the we're there, we're there for the soccer. Yeah. We're there. We want to see that. And and, and 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 from a U.S. men's national team perspective, I mean, this is this is going to be fun. It's not a perfect team as we know, and this last window did not go great. But first off, Greg Berhalter and company they qualified, which is something we didn't do in the last cycle, and in, in the biggest failure as far as I'm concerned in U.S. soccer history. Uh, and they're back. And it's not an easy group, but I think that there is a pathway out. Obviously, first game against Wales, second game, as we mentioned, against England. And then, you know, you mentioned politics and, and history and stuff like that. U.S. versus Iran in a World Cup. So all of that entails and all the baggage that comes with that. But ultimately, for Greg Berhalter and from a soccer perspective, you got to find a way to get out. And that first game, I mean, you, you, you know uh, as well as I do that, you know, Mr. Bale and company, back after 56 years uh, or whatever, uh, they're going to have a lot of pride going out. And the interesting thing is, I think safe money is England's the, the number one team in that group. And that's that's fine. It's not that they can't be beaten by U.S. or anybody else, but that's the safe bet. And then the other th three teams, I think they, I think we all look at each other as, hey, there's points out there. Yeah. I think that first game against uh, Gareth Bale and uh, company when it comes to Wales, I think that is huge. If you come out of the gates as the U.S. and you find a way to get three points in that first game, you're golden. Because if you don't, then facing England in that second game, that, that could be problematic. If they beat Wales, they'll, they'll go through. And I think they can get through maybe on two goals, <laughs> which is kind of what they've done. Because uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll take it. But uh, I, I want to do talk about the U.S. team a little bit. But just to put a bow on the World Cup, according to Alexi, divorces are going to be up. Schools, <laughs> kids are going to have worse grades at school. Yep. And people aren't going to be as effective at a workplace. So thanks a bundle. If we do our job correctly. If we do our <laughs> Just maintain it for a month. And by the way, you said you were visitors there. Is this going to be a dry month for Alexi Lalas? Oh, hell no. Hell no. <laughs> I mean, no, that we, we, we That's sorted that out. the first thing I thought of. I go, I got to, at the end of a long day, I need a little you know, something it, to take off the edge. It is amazing. That is the first question that I get whenever <laughs> I, I bring up going to Surprise, Qatar. I took and, this and long here. Everyone's very, very concerned about it. I can honestly say in both of my trips, never once was I at a loss for an alcoholic beverage. Now, you, you can't walk around the street and you can't be drunk, but that's a good rule, I guess, what? in any Let's be honest. We don't do that here. No. When you do and, it, you stick out. Right, exactly. And they're not going to serve it during the game. They've, uh, you know, and but, but that goes back to, you know, this that's, is a different country. Different country that's out of line. Culture. I'm sorry. That's they're, out of line. They're going to, listen, I know, you, you know, you, you, if you want to die on that hill, go ahead. But, you know, there, there's plenty it's two of hours. restaurants, there's plenty of bars, there will be plenty of alcohol for people to imbibe. And, uh, and that shouldn't be a problem go, uh, going forward, including, including yours truly at the end of the night. And I'll be honest with you. One of the great things that I'm looking forward to is because in other World Cups, you satellite out and people are just coming and going, you don't get a consistent type of relationship and connection with everybody. Everybody is going to be in the same area. And so at night, when we have, you know, the, the meetings back at the bar or the restaurant, that for me is is as much fun as anything else. It's just kind of downloading with what, what happened. And let's let's also be honest. A lot of the store, a lot of the shows are written <laughs> at those at those bars and those restaurants after because you know you're just throwing stuff off of each Exciting. other and you're coming down, um, and it's just and it's a it's a wonderful thing and I'll be able to hang out with a lot of people that in normal circumstances would have been off to the red eye uh, or would have been off to an airport or in a van or something like that heading to that next game and that just doesn't is not going to happen here. Uh, so, so much to unpack here. This has been so informative. I just want to, uh, before we talk about the U.S. men's national team, one of the uh, the, the names I think we're going to have to get familiar with is Lionel Scaloni, who's the manager of Argentina. You mentioned it because he's allowed Messi, and there's a really good connection. There was a, I think it was on Amazon, a show about the national team. It, it delves into that connection where they must have made an agreement where it's like, look, you concede here. And these guys will pick up the slack, and they've done it beautifully. And those two midfielders, it's usually DePaul or Paredes or something, they just do all this heavy lifting, and it works. And it's never worked for the Argentina prior. It was like Messi, Messi on an island. He was miserable, and they put too much on his shoulders, and somehow they've taken it off. And it's, I think Messi has been, okay, and now he has the proof because they won the Copa America, and they're just that, ripping through it. people. That That is it. You know, the, yeah. the, you know, proof of concept, that's huge. It's huge in terms of how they look at Scaloni and, and – and how he kind of sits now because he can say, hey, we figured it out. By the way, I'm the one that was able to, through what we have done, give you that trophy and check that box. Now, I don't think that that's enough for Messi, but 
it's almost as if he's been unburdened of that and now able to go. And look, it, no matter what, you can we can argue, you know, about where he stands. Arguably, the greatest player ever to live, but a diminutive, left-footed attacking player from Argentina. You're always going to be compared to Maradona. He understood that. He still understands that. And so this last go-around, given what you said about the balance of this team, uh, whether it's the coach or the actual players and the depth that they have and the, at least for now, lack of drama, that bodes well. And I would not want to be, you know, a, a team in Group C, let, a, let alone one of the uh, elites out there. And by the way, Group C, Argentina, uh, Saudi Arabia, our friends L3, Mexico and uh, Poland. So this is only audio only for those. We'll make a video component, but is Alexi saying that he's looking above his laptop to work, which must no, be no, a I, huge. I have them pages. all. I have them all memorized. I have my kids throw You're stuff a liar. at me. Yeah, yeah, they will. They'll, they'll go like, like group G and the coach of this and stuff like that. I'm okay. I, you know. Wrong, wrong. Exactly. Uh, all this talk about Messi, watch Ronaldo backdoor to the final and win it. And then we'll, we should have talked more about Ronaldo. All we talk right. about is his demise. Well, uh, USA, and I posted a photo of 2014. They had that send off in yeah. Times Square, and all the team came out. It was like a band, and it was like, oh, this team's not getting that. And the send off, they're getting, I, I can imagine that Greg Berhalter can't wait for this World Cup to begin because I know we look at social media mm -hmm. and it's an echo chamber. And it's not as big as you're doing, but generally you talk about the US team, it's it's negative. It's about the selections. It's Jordan Peefock or John Brooks and all of this going in there. You know, it, has it been nice on the eyes across the way? No. Uh, that September window, bad taste in the mouth, certainly. Certain tactics that Greg Berhalter that has been criticized, it, it, it rings true. It hasn't quite worked. And maybe there is a, an adjustment to be made with some new players. But still, there's that this there's a weight on it, which it's, I don't think it's deserved because he did cross off the checks with the trophies and beating Mexico and qualifying for the world cup, regardless if it was by the skin of your teeth or you won the group. We've seen teams sneak in Mexico's famous for it. And in 2014, and they were this close to making the quarterfinals, they should have. So it doesn't really translate to the world cup, but is it, how have you absorbed that? Because I know we text from time to right. time. We're like, man, this is getting heavy. I mean, I mean, some <laughs> of these players are getting singled out. And I'm like, Mike, this is a guy who's representing you. Why are we so uh, vicious against him? I get it. And I like a good, healthy discourse, and we should have it. But sometimes it goes a little bit above and beyond. Yeah, I mean, I think that I expect the American soccer fan, whether they just come into the game or been around, to have some level of faith, not blind faith, but some level of faith. And, you know, given what you said and the, you know, the track record of Greg Berhalter. And look, it's not his fault that, you know, he took the team over in a pandemic era. It, you know, you play what's in front of you. And he did, to your point, check a lot of boxes as and was incredibly successful in terms of his win percentage, in terms of the trophies that he raised, in terms of the recruitment process of players, all of that kind of stuff. And then ultimately getting the team to the World Cup, which, by the way, we didn't do in the last cycle. Now, that's not necessarily cause for us to have a party because we've done that plenty of times before, but that was the first, uh, the first order of business. And ultimately, Greg Berhalter, if he was here today, he would tell you that all that doesn't matter. Janet Jackson, what have you done for me lately, right? It's what happens in the World Cup. And that's ultimately what he is going to be judged on. I, I do get the sense that there is not just criticism, because criticism is fine. I mean, I, I, I engage in criticism and you know, there's healthy criticism. Uh, there's toxic criticism out there. I do get the sense that there are those that are really concerned that he has been given the keys to this incredibly, you know, expensive and talented car and that he doesn't have the facility to drive it in the way in the fastest possible way and okay that's that's fine but i also get the feeling that there are some that are hoping for his failure and that's that's a little yeah. bit harder to deal yeah. with I and mean, some of the players failure yeah yeah exactly and I, I, I there is a human part of me that gets it because we all want to be proven right yeah you know we all want our hypothesis to, you know, uh, to be I've been guilty right. of that. I, I will honestly sure. say I've exactly. cheered against somebody because I said he wasn't going to perform it's, when they perform. I'm like, I don't want egg on my face. human nature, Max. Exactly. It, oh. it happens. I, I I get that. But, you know, that usually it's done kind of behind the scenes and, quiet, and quietly. <laughs> it seems a little bit more overt yeah. out there. Um, and 
don't think for a second that his quote unquote Americanness, uh, his lack of experience when it comes to coaching international, for uh, for example, or his track record when it comes to the club, um, that doesn't play into it. So it's up to him. It's up to him to shut people up. And ultimately, after this World Cup, it will either be viewed as a success or not. The interesting thing will be is what is from a U.S. Soccer Federation success in that 2026 is the the prize, right? I mean, that for any coach is going to be the ah type of moment. And rightfully so, being that we are hosting the World Cup in 2026. But I, I, I'm not sure that two, I don't like multiple cycles. I think it gets stale. Agreed. And so I, I'm almost, regardless if he wins the World Cup or loses or does or goes out and is, is the worst team at the World Cup, I still think that you you uh, make a change and you thank Greg Berhalter for everything that's gone. Now, that's what I would do. <laughs> I'm not sure that, that uh, Brian McBride and Ernie Stewart look at it like that. They might say, this has been a great process and we really want to see what you can do now with another four years of this generation now kind of grown up. But you know as well as I do, it's sometimes hard when you've been treated in a certain age group and in a certain way for a long period to mature with that age group uh, as a, as a coach or mentor or somebody of authority. Sometimes you kind of need to pass it along. There's a reason why youth teams pass it along to that next person who might be better and more adept at, you know, at teaching a certain age group. If he wins the world cup, he's getting another cycle, Alexi. Well, it'll be his, <laughs> it'll be his choice. I would think. Yeah. That's, but I'm with you. And I think if you look at Jurgen Klinsman and so many managers that go in that second cycle, it it's does. Hard. It's it, hard. it just, it's heavy for the players. It's heavy for the coach. It's heavy for the federation. It's just, it's, it's a four. It's like a presidential term, you know, yeah. there you go. You get it. Uh, it's look, I mentioned that, that midtown a Times Square yeah. thing because we don't have a we didn't we're not really giving them a hero's exit. Kind of these are huh? it sucks. And yeah. these kids, I think we need to massage them a little bit and let them know how important it is it. Especially most of them are playing in Europe, living very good lives. Where you know playing for these European clubs is is super amazing. Sports cars and uh, front of the newspaper, all of that coming with it. So I think they need that a little bit. Um, it's I, I, maybe we could phrase this and how you think they're going to do. Cause you know, I think the youth is the age is a problem. I think a lot of these guys going, it's, it's an issue, not a problem, but the, I would like them to be a little more experienced. Granted that more experienced players aren't as talented, but this is a, a group that's coming here, you know, almost like so distant from a world cup experience. Many of them were in diapers when we last made a, well, not diapers, but they were, very young at their age, but how do you think they react? Is there is there some players you think that uh, are going to answer the challenge, kind of take the leadership roles? Yeah, I mean, I mean, let's be honest. Unless DeAndre Edlin is starting in the first game, we're we're the looking kids. at a, we are looking at a starting eleven that will never have stepped on a field in a World Cup. Now, that in and of itself isn't necessarily necessarily a problem. But it's the reality of taking the youngest team ever to a World Cup. And they will do stupid things uh, and because they're young, but they will also sometimes not know what they what they don't know, right? right? And that swagger that at times we have – this is why this last window doesn't bother me as much as it does others. I have seen this team rise to the occasion. I have seen this team make me proud. I have seen this team show a youthful swagger and harness it in a positive way. And I do believe that if they are able to tap into that side of the team, that they can do that they can do good things. But I, I will push back a little bit in that, you know, with you know what's whatever the saying is, uh, too too much that is given, much is expected, right? And this is a generation that has been given everything and more. Okay, and this isn't me grumpy manning this. This is hey, all of these things that we're talking about, all of these new pathways. I mean, we got. I, in order for me to play in Europe, I literally had to star in a World Cup. Okay. We got players now. <laughs> we, have, we have players now going over to Europe that never even played professionally. Like it's, it's insane in, in a good way. I'm so proud. It's wonderful. I love that. But with that now comes expectation. All right, fine. We talked about, well, we never had the infrastructure and we didn't raise players in the way they do around the world. Well, you know, they've been raised at a young age. They've gone into these little bubbles. Everything has been provided for them to be professional athletes. They've gone on incredible pathways, you know, whether it's the Bundesliga or EPL or, or, or elsewhere out there in not just ways, but in numbers that we've never seen before. 
So I don't think it's wrong for us to now expect more at a younger age because they have been given so many more resources than, than we ever. I mean, people forget that when Kobe Jones and myself stepped on the field in 94, we had never been on the books of a club. <laughs> we did it so backwards. From UCLA and Rutgers. It was ridiculous. <laughs> it was ridiculous. But that was just, that was the times. And thankfully those, uh, those have changed. So I do think that, you know, this is a group that absolutely any of these teams could beat us. Having said that, there's a pathway out. As we mentioned before, you get your points against Wales and Iran and you take your chances against England. And you never know it could happen. And by the way, that movement of European players, it's its so new. I mean, it happened in mass, but three years ago, it yep. started. Yep. It was still isolated guys. And now it's like the, the, the European leagues are, are taking notice of what's happening. Yeah, here. There's gold in them, their hills. There's, there's gold talent. in them hills, man. Uh, and, and it's challenge. And we, we don't have to pay an arm and a leg for it right. like we do in Brazil. I don't know why I'm sounding like Tex Cobb here. <laughs> Randall Tex Cobb. Oh, man, that's still, let me tell you something about these Americans, man. Get them pennies on a dollar. Uh, sorry. Alexi, I can obviously talk for, forever. It's, just, it's so eloquent and thoughtful, and uh, I appreciate you. And I'm, I'm very thankful that uh, we'll see you in the World Cup. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a creature comfort and a guy who straight shoots all the time. Well, we let me just before that. before you let me go, let me say thank you. It is always a pleasure, and it's so much fun to talk to you because you know we we started this show talking about the history that we have, and you are a an incredible part of my American soccer history, and for a lot of people. And so, as people are looking at and, and not just your work with LAFC, I mean, now you have come, become synonymous with LAFC, LAFC, and you will whether you know it or not, and I I think you do, but I'm going to remind you, you will have you know, ingrained yourself in yet another generation. And there will be many years from now, kids that have grown up and will have watched you and will associate you with LAFC and multiple generations. And I am one of them that will have watched you and all of the work that you have done for so many years. And you've done it with an incredible wit, an incredible sense of humor, an incredible sense of responsibility, as we've talked about, and work. And you, my friend, are one of the legends that I talk about when it comes to the game, when it comes to broadcasting. And I don't I don't say that uh, to everybody, but I say it to you. Unsolicited. Wow. Uh, that was amazing. <laughs> Clip right. that one off. Clip it off, baby. Clip it off. <laughs> that was uh, that is un unbelievable, Alexi. You uh, you made my day. That is just wonderful to hear. And I, I take a lot of pride in that. And sometimes to hear a reminder of something it makes it all worthwhile. Uh, and you just did that. So awesome. Awesome. Wonderful conversation. Always great. Alexi Lalas in the business. And we'll be back as I glow in those fine words with stoppage time. We'll talk about the striker situation for the USMNT. As we do every week, we have stoppage time and we talk about the U.S. men's national team. And we're getting ready for November 9th, the selection process. The 26 players that will represent us in uh, Qatar. I want, also want to say something, and I tweeted about it. I hate to always reference Twitter, but it's just something that it's, a, it's to give it reference. So I'll tweet about USMNT, and some of the fans respond to me, and they refer to Greg Berhalter's pets, like this group of players that he like are his little pets that he throws out there because he likes the comfort of having his little puppy on his waist on his lap that is disgusting can we stop that you know we've just chipped away at these players we've chipped away at the players that are not viewed as usmnt ready who are generally mls based and whether mls has it to do with or not i'm not going to get into that i'm just getting into the vernacular that we use and just how unappealing these conversations get when they don't have to go there. Let's have a, a, a proper discourse. We just use different words. I know you don't want Aaron Long or Christian Roldan or Paul Ariola, the list, and they, but to refer to those guys, and I know that's who you are as pets. And when Kellen Acosta reacted, and he's like, man, these guys, feel, I feel like some fans are rooting against me as if they, uh, uh, if I scored in the World Cup, they probably wouldn't celebrate. I go, that's just disturbing. And I know they would. They would celebrate. They would. Right? <laughs> so I hope we can get away from that. And we have, we have really good, intelligent conversations. And the best part is we don't have to agree. We don't have to agree. 
but we can have a back and forth without name calling. Thank you. So uh, I was inspired by the conversation by Meg with Meg Swanick last week, and she said she reading into some of the things that were said. She believes Jordan Peefock makes the World Cup roster, which is a bit of you know, and I, I've heard it from other people. And it goes back to what Greg Berhalter said about him not being called into the September camp saying, we know what he can do, which leaves the door wide open. And Jordan Pufak is doing everything in his power to keep it open. Scoring goals. He has three goals for Union Berlin who are in the Europa League. They got a great win. He was, I thought he was magnificent. They were down a man and you could see he was tired. It was a game that was interrupted against Malmo. And he just gave it all. He knew he wasn't going to score. He had to do other work. I go, that's great optics for a player like that. And to see um, to see what he's been able to do in addition to scoring goals. By the way, I've watched a lot of Union Berlin games. And I've got to say this. They have a guy named Geraldo Becker, who's from Suriname. I think he's Dutch-born, but represents Suriname. The dude is amazing. He has six goals. So every time I watch Union Berlin, I tune in for PFOC, but I'm like, wow, Geraldo Becker. And it gets me excited. Suriname is in CONCACAF. Let's get Suriname. They should be in Comebol. They're part of South America, technically, but they represent CONCACAF. So maybe one of these burgeoning powers that we'll see. Step up in our region, which we need. We saw Canada step up. That's huge. Costa Rica, consistent. We need Honduras back. But if you can get a Suriname or a Haiti, then... uh, uh, this is great. I don't know how far Suriname could go, but you get three Geraldo Beckers, <laughs> you're in business. So Union Berlin, top of the Bundesliga, and Jordan Pietmach doing his thing, and the door is open. The question is, do we think we're going to get three strikers. Right now, it would look like it, based on September, Jesus Ferreira and Ricardo Pepe are pretty locked in. Josh Sargent's back in the mix. I don't know if he's completely locked in. I would think it would come down to Sergeant or PFOC. Don't scream at me. That's just what I'm thinking based on everything we have seen up till now. There's no way Jesus Ferreira is not going. And uh, I'll give you a good reason why we shouldn't have this argument. And there's room for all four, which uh, it's not the strongest position we have, which means you don't want to dedicate that many players to it. But the flexibility of a couple of the players makes it, Makes sense. Let's go over the other ones very quickly. Jesus Ferreira, best young player in MLS, 21 years of age, 18 goals in MLS, helped FC Dallas, who missed the playoffs last year. They were like 11th. They finished third. Good season with Paul Ariola. Ricardo Pepe leaving Augsburg, which is, look, he's made the best move possible <laughs> going to Groningen, who are, they're going to be in a relegation scrap, it would appear. He gets there, he has he scored two goals this week, and he has four goals in four games. The top goal scorer in the Dutch era divisie is Cody Gakbo of PSV. He has nine. Second is Danilo of Feyenoord. So Pepe gets a couple more goals, and the way he's going, he might be the top scorer in the Netherlands by uh, January of next year. Remember, we stopped for the World Cup. He's not catching Gakbo. But Ricardo Pepe... Really good goals. And the celebration at Groningen when he scored, you could see the fans love him. And that what a relief it must be for Ricardo Pepe. Then you have Josh Sargent. Scored a goal, second minute of the game for Norwich, who lost to Preston North End at home. Not a great result. But Norwich in a three-way tie for first place in the championship to get promoted back to the English Premier League. 13 games, he has seven goals and two assists. He is... He would always kind of, they'd have that one forward and he'd be behind Timu Puki, uh, who's not really produced. I think Sargent's moving ahead of him. They play together as a tandem. So Josh Sargent doing everything he is. And the case with Pepe and Sargent, they're guys that have found the right situation, which means not the Bundesliga or the Premier League. It means the Eredivisie and the EFL Championship, which was right fit. Because not everyone is going to excel there. But maybe they both get back there before too long because Pepe's 19 years of age and Josh Sargent might get back to the Premier League with Norwich. The rule of thumb with Norwich, they are the ultimate yo-yo club, which means they go up and down, up and down. And it looks like it's going to do that again. It's the craziest club. It really is. Although, by the way, um, he's tied for second, Sargent, with Brent Chilean international Ben Brereton. 
in the championship. He is, I think, what, two goals behind Oscar Estupiñan, who plays for Hull City, Colombian striker. So let's look at the four. I'm going to put Jesus Ferreira starting the most, but to me, Greg Berhalter feels that Ricardo Pepe is the perfect striker for his system. And he has all the tools. His problem, inexperience and lack of form, but not recently. The, f- the regaining of the form changes everything. I think Ricardo Pepe, now with this, and remember, he got called into the September camps before he scored a goal. He got called into the camp, and then he scored these goals. Just perfect uh, serendipity, almost, for uh, for his game. So I think Ricardo Pepe is the starter now in that first game if he continues on this path. And again, it's, he just has to do it a little bit longer. We have about a month of games and then World Cup time. So what does that do with Jesus Ferreira? Well, to me, we saw it against Saudi Arabia. He came on. He, he, people have argued with this. I, mean, I will sit down and I'll watch that game again. I know that we can't really do that, but I'll watch it. When he came in, he pressed the Saudi keeper into at least three turnovers in the U.S. attacking third. He had the only really good shot of the game in Saudi Arabia and against Japan. The problem is he missed them both. But nobody else is getting chances. Nobody else is getting chances but Jesus Ferreira. So I'd rather take the chances than no chances. Granted, Josh Sargent hasn't been given a shot, Jordan Peefock, but I don't think those... uh, Certainly Jordan Peefock would not benefit unless the guys around him are getting him service. Jesus Ferreira works. We need him. But I love to see him as a super sub, right? Wouldn't that be cool? He comes in for 30 minutes and he just attacks and turns that ball over. And he can, especially in that middle channel. So there's the pecking order. We've always said this about Jordan Pifok. You want a big striker in a position. Maybe you throw in a second guy that can accompany, let's say, Ricardo Pepe. Or maybe you need a goal and you're going to have a set piece for five minutes. A a specialist. We've all said this. I know it's getting obnoxious. But yeah, I will take that. I'll take a specialist for Jordan Peefock, even if he plays a grand total of 15, 20 minutes. Let's get him in there. Because he could do that. He's scored a lot of headed goals. It's just the service has to be a little better. And it's getting better by certain players. Uh, Anthony Robinson, we'll see what happens with the wingers. And then Josh Sargent, uh, it may come down to... Uh, Jordan Morris, Paul Ariola. I think Ariola's in. Jordan Morris really hasn't had that season, and he's been slowed by injuries. Josh Sargent's hitting that stride, and he can play that Ariola. He can play that Jordan Morris position, the second forward to come in, a guy who's kind of a winger, a hybrid. Uh, we could use that. So really, we have four guys that aren't just luxury players. They're there to contribute. We'll see if this rings true by the time November 9th rolls around. But I'm sticking to it, and I hope it happens. Four forwards, all with a defined role. And I feel better about our chances. I think all of you would too. We want PFOC, right? We want PFOC. We want Sargent. They're just all performing very well. I want Jesus Ferreira. Don't leave him out because he plays in MLS. He is producing and he's 21. He's a kid. He would be in Europe if he wasn't making so much money in MLS. The Soccer OG, rate, review, download, subscribe. Check out the Soccer OG YouTube. I will talk about the striker situation there. Under my name, Max Bretos. Check out the library of podcasts right here. And uh, enjoy the football. It's that wonderful time of the year. Heading towards the World Cup. Until I talk to you again, Placido Domingo.